How are you doing? How are you doing? It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. It's myself, Richie Allen. Who else would you be expecting at this time of the day? It's five o'clock here in Salford. Beautiful day. It's uh, going to get much better weather-wise in the next two to three days. You might be interested to know that Scorchio Tremendo coming to the UK later on in the week with Friday temperatures expected to reach 32 in London and 27 up here in the northwest. What? What will we do? Won't be able to cope with it. I'm really looking forward to this programme. Michael Rachia will be back on the show. He was on with us about four or five weeks ago now. Michael is a medium, a spiritualist, and uh, back in 2005 he connected with Joseph, a spirit with a message for the world. Now, Michael and uh, his friends began to document Joseph's, uh, Joseph's message. He was channeling that through Michael, and they have published eight books known as the Joseph Communications. It's fascinating stuff. Michael is back uh, for more on the programme this afternoon. He'll be with me in around about 30-35 minutes. I can't wait for that. It's Tuesday's show. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, Michael would be known as a trance medium. That's right, Michael Rachel. Now, I'm sure you will have comments. I'm sure you will have questions. Please send them to me through the website, richieallen.co.uk. I'm pretty sure you know how to do it now. It's comment live. That's the way to reach the program. With you till 7 o'clock as usual. And um, thanks, yeah, thanks for being here, for finding me every day. We find one another, don't we? Thanks for your messages as well. The contact thing is back up and running on the website. So if you send me a message through contact, I do get it. Please use that to share with me information that you think is important for the programme, to request guest appearances and stuff like that. But most importantly, if you'd like me to speak with somebody, uh, sorry, most importantly, if you've got a story and you'd like to come on the programme, you think that you would be a fit for the programme, use the contact form on the website for that, okay? That's up and running and working again. A big shout out to my friend Hayden Hewitt for that. Yeah, warm weather is on the way this week. That's exciting, isn't it? Are they blaming it on climate change? Not yet. I have yet to hear anyone blame it on climate change. Nobody said out yet, so I don't know. Um, The pop star Lizzo has changed the lyrics to her latest song because fans complained that it used an ableist slur. An ableist slur. Now, Lizzo, um, I'm so out of the loop, it's untrue, dear listener. I've never heard of Lizzo. Um, But the song is called Girls. And that's spelled G-R-R-R-L-S, G-R-R-R-L-S, girls. It was released last week and it originally contained a derogatory term for a form of cerebral palsy known as spastic diplegia in the first verse. But fans were shocked and disappointed and took to Twitter to ask her to re-record the song with alternative words. And she took the criticism to heart and rushed back to the recording studio to release a new version omitting the so-called, quote, harmful word, end quote. 
This is last night now. So, so, so Lizzo went on social media and said, let me be clear, I never want to promote derogatory language. But she wasn't promoting derogatory language. She was using a word in context. But anyway, it doesn't matter. She went on to say, as a fat black woman in America, I've had many hurtful words used against me, so I understand the power words can have, whether intentionally or, in my case, unintentionally. But Lizzo... There's no room for unintentionally anymore. No, you can be cancelled for what you didn't mean. So you better change it. So she did change it. So now they reworked it and the song includes the lyric Cold Me Back and there's no mention of spastic anywhere in the song. No mention of spastic. Nobody should say spastic. Spastic is a word that should never be said on the radio or on the television. You shouldn't say it in the street. The, The word again, spastic, because it's offensive, apparently. So uh, Lizzo said, I'm an influential artist dedicated to being part of the change I've been waiting to see in the world. Isn't that astonishing? The change they've been waiting to see. You speak to so-called celebrities today. I say so-called because most of the people they attribute the term celebrity to, I've never heard of them. But that's because I am the enemy. I'm a 47-year-old balding Balding. Stop now. I have some here. Gammon. That's what I am. So I'm the enemy, apparently. And my face turns a bright pink in the sun. Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't. I've got beautiful sallow. I get very brown when the sun is out, for some reason or, or other. But um, they talk about change. Isn't it amazing? Today's artists. Now, you think of John Lennon. And you think of... You, t- you think of um, Sam Cooke. You think of, I'm not just saying black snout, the virtue signal. You think of um, of Marvin Gaye. And look at the things they were asking for. When celebrities today, whether it's musicians or TV celebrities, when they talk about wanting change, they basically want people to stop saying nasty things about one another. That's the change they want to see in the world. They don't want to see, you know, a change in you know, not selling weapons of mass destruction to Saudi Arabia to bomb Yemen to smithereens with. No, they don't want to see any of that. No, they don't want to see vaccine mandates stopped or or banned. No, none of that. None of the really important stuff. The change they want to see is usually horty feelings change. It's not horty feelings. Anyway, Lizzo is cock of the walk now, as they say in the North. She's loved... Uh, right across social media, disability advocates have been praising her for her actions and changing the words in the song. Callum Stephen advocates for the disabled and he's delighted. And he said, I'm proud of Lizzo for listening. Hang on a second. I better get this quote right or I'll be, I'll be in trouble. He says, I'm proud of Lizzo. He says, for listening to the disabled community. What kind of fuckery are you? Disabled community, he said. Disabled community. She could have said and done nothing or gaslit the disabled community and vanished, but she didn't. This should be the precedent. The precedent. Precedent. I've got to get a jingle made up. I don't have time to to be doing the jingles like, but I need to get a new jingle made up for for, for, for the communities because a new community is born every day. Google Maps employees must be flat out. They must be wrecked, knackered with so many communities. You'd have thought that Google Maps employees would be flat out. But I went on to Google Maps and I keyed in disabled community. 
no directions, nothing. Nothing came up on Google Maps. I thought that Google Maps might be broken down. So I put in, I, I inputted Swinton. And it directed me to Swinton, which is just up the road. So it's obviously working. So the disabled community must be a secret community. Google Maps doesn't know where it is. What would it look like? I even looked for it on Waze. You know, the Israeli driver assistance app, the, the SatNav app which uh, was designed in Israel. Everybody uses it. It's great. Waze is great. Waze is brilliant because it, um, you can speak to it when you're driving and you can warn your fellow drivers that the old bill are parked at the side of the road with a speed camera in operation and some bloke about a mile back from you will get that alert on, on his screen and he'll slow down. Waze is very good, right? We like it. So Waze uh, doesn't know where the disabled community is either. What would it look like, the disabled community? Would it have a sheriff? Um, would the sheriff be a bloke in a wheelchair with a siren and a flashing blue light on the back of it by the handlebars of the wheelchair? Um, would the lollipop lady be blind, for example? Um, she can't be fired. She lives in a disabled district. She can't be fired. A blind lollipop lady. That There's no discrimination, right? The local pub is run by a pair of dwarves. Or is dwarfism not considered to be a disability? I can't remember. Uh, the mayoress is a woman with spina bifida. That's the disabled community. Give me a break. There's no disabled community. Jesus. We live in communities. There are lots of different people in them. And until recently, nobody gave a shit. Until the last couple of years, nobody gave an arse about the differences amongst us. We didn't care. But now we're being told we have to care all the time. Can you imagine what the author and poet Christy Brown would have made of this shite? She didn't write the lyric offensively. Leave it in. Don't be rushing back to the studio at massive expense, presumably, to change a word in a song because a couple of hurty feelies on Twitter start screaming. Give over now. Enough is enough of this crap, says, says me, says the baldy gammon. Let me bring this up. You'd have thought, you know, that Lenny Henry would be gone from your television screens by now in your radios, but... No, sadly, Lenny Henry still pops up from time to time to opine on something. Lenny Henry is a comedian. He's 63. I never found him funny. I always saw Lenny Henry as being a bit of um, a poor man's Eddie Murphy or, or your man Richard Pryor, who was hilarious. I never thought Lenny Henry was funny, but it doesn't matter what I thought or think because others did find him funny and he did well. Well, he's come out of somewhere to talk now about Glastonbury. Music festivals are everywhere now. It's the summer, kind of. So at the moment, you have Isle of Wight, I think, maybe taking place. You have Heaton Park up here. I don't know what they call that. You'll have Reading festivals. You'll have the whole shebang. Outdoor music festivals in England where it rains all the time, even in the summer. But the uh, technology is so good today, you don't see any guitar players getting electrocuted. It doesn't happen anymore, sadly. It'd really spice up one of those festivals, wouldn't it, if one of them got shocked. doesn't happen anymore. Um, Lenny Henry has been opining on the Glastonbury Festival, the whiteness of it. <laughs> never, never without something to complain about. He said it's interesting, that's a quote, by the way, to see the apparent lack of black people in the audience at the Glastonbury Festival. He's surprised 
by the lack of diverse faces in the audience at other UK festivals. Who gives a shite, like, as to the ethnic makeup of audiences? Who cares, like, you know? Who gives a damn? But he's talking about it. He gave an interview to the BBC journalist and presenter Clive Myrie, where they talked about representation and Henry moaned on about the lack of representation. So I did a little bit of research because that's what I do. And I discovered that people from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds, that's BAME for short, um, this is in 2020 now, accounted for more than 22% of all on-screen TV contributions in the year 2019 to 2020. Now, BAME people make up just 12.8% of the UK population. But in 2019, they made up more than 22% of people on the telly, right? Now, they whinged, these, these groups, you know, these diversity groups, and said that, well, there's lots of BAME people on the telly, but they're underrepresented in off-screen roles. I don't know. What would it take to appease them? Everybody? on television and off television, being of colour or from a minority ethnic background, would that appease them in the end, would it? I don't know. Do you remember that shite a few years ago when they started asking people to step aside to allow people from minority backgrounds have a go? That dangerously mad, lunatic idea that somebody with lots and lots of talent who managed to get to a position in a company doesn't have to be the media. And they said, you know, you should step aside, really. You should commit career suicide, really, to do your bit, you know, to promote diversity and to give minorities a chance. I think minorities are doing okay. And as for television, every other on-screen couple these days is a mixed-race couple, which certainly doesn't reflect reality. And it doesn't bother me. This is the point of the thing. This is why gammons like me, socialists like me, by the way, get pissed off about this stuff. We don't care about white people dating Asian people or black people or people from, I don't know, Latin America or God knows where. That's the thing that pisses us off, isn't it? Being told that there's something wrong with our thinking and therefore it needs to be corrected. So let's start misrepresenting reality in television programmes and advertisements. It's ridiculous. It's madness. And I can actually, if you don't believe me, I can name several advertising campaigns for major companies where the families represented in the ads are all mixed-race couples. It ain't happening. It's a quarter past the hour. So back to artificial intelligence then, and your man, Blake Lemoyne. Remember him, Blake Lemoyne? We talked about him yesterday. He's a software engineer that has been suspended or put on gardening leave by Google. Why? Well, he said that a chatbot is alive. He tested a chatbot over several months, and he has become convinced that it is sentient, that it is aware of itself, that it is conscious, that it has conscious thoughts, that it can make decisions for itself autonomously. Google says he's full of shiite, he's full of shite, and they said, look, you're, you're suspended, son. We talked about this yesterday, and we had a good old ding-dong, didn't we? 
on the website about whether or not the thing is really sentient or not. And of course, none of us know. I'm really open-minded. I haven't a clue whether it is or whether it isn't. But um, what interested me today is is that every so-called expert has been dragged out to say that it is nonsense. And the question, I suppose, I've got to ask is, should we be suspicious of that? When every, not every, but the news media was full of people today from various universities saying that, well, this is obviously nonsense. You have to wonder, does that mean we should take it more seriously? Or is it a double bluff? Are we supposed to think that it's happening? I don't know. Uh, The BBC brought on Maria Rosario Tudeo, an Oxford University expert on such matters. Uh, Maria Rosario Tudeo. Maria Rosaria Tudeo and a guy called Mario Gongora from De Montfort University, which I think might be in Leicester. Forgive me if I'm wrong. He's an artificial intelligence expert. So he went first then. He's not convinced at all. He thinks it's just the bot doing what the bot is designed to do, which is to learn language and learn how to communicate. And it's basically just feeding back to the the software engineer what the software in engineer wants to hear so let's listen to mario gongora from the montford uni in a way it's it's, it's, dif- it's impossible to prove or disprove but if we go with with more evidence uh, principles what we can say is that the the replies that the machine is 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 giving are uh, are replies that have been uh, programmed uh, by by the by the learning that it had uh, to 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 be done, and, and, and basically this machine has the the whole Google data, i.e. the you know a lot of data from the world to to get uh, sentences from. Mm. So it's very easy for a machine without absolutely thinking or or feeling or or doing anything other than just processing um, huge amounts of data to find right answers that that um, that have been used in movies, in in books, in discussions, in many places. So therefore. If we go with evidence, it's, it's, we are really, really far away from, from sentient machines, mm. even if they are very good at imitating what, uh, you know, a language that, that sounds sentient or, or, or has feelings. So it's imitating, then, says uh, Mario Gongora. What about the uh, Oxford woman, Maria Rosaria Tudeo? She kind of agrees with him. Uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, this is the kind of, uh, of idea that we have. We, we're refining AI over and over. And this, uh, the case of Lambda here that we're discussing is, uh, a more refined case. But basically that's what it is. Uh, it is a machine that is able to, uh, pick up the right information out there and to give it back to you in the form of an answer or in form of a, a service. Think about Siri or Gordana in your, in your mobile phones. It is, I think the key point to stress here is the imitating point that Mario was also stressing. To trivialize it, I'm sure all of us have had a classmate when we went to school who was really good at repeating whatever lesson we had to learn and to get the highest mark, but not understanding one thing of it. We all hated that guy or that girl. Yeah. That's pretty much what we face when we look about AI. It's something which is really good at imitating us. It has no clue about what it's talking about. 
Right, it doesn't have a clue. It's very good at imitating. It's like that annoying classmate who was good at remembering things and repeating them in exams, but who didn't really have a great understanding of the subject. That's interesting that we've said that before over the years about doctors. Doctors who go to medical school. Not all of them, of course, but some who might be very good, but have very good memories, might be good at cramming for exams. But then they, they, they become kind of dangerous people when they qualify and go into the field because they didn't really understand much of what or all of what uh, they were learning or being told during their five or six years at med school. Interestingly then, this woman, Maria Rosaria Tudeo, goes on to say that, uh, I think she goes on to say, that sentient artificial intelligence, sentient bots, is basically science fiction. It's impossible. It won't happen at all. And I can tell you that it's a sci-fi idea. Uh, it's not going to happen. And we should be really realistic about it. What machines do is to combine symbols according to rules the human give to them at some point whether, you know, one step before the outcome or a thousand steps before the outcome. They only execute rules that we designed for them. Uh, and then as long as machines do that, they will never become conscious, sentient or aware of themselves and, uh, and you know, become uh, aware of the world around them. So we, we fly away from that. But I should also say that the fact that we're not going to develop machines who are uh, sensitive, as you say, this does not mean that we don't face risks as we are in the situation where we are, because we use... Listen to this now. She says that artificial intelligence becoming self-aware and, you know, like us, basically, independent thinking entities. While she says she doesn't believe it's possible, she goes on to say that we should be very, very wary of the power of computers and gives a, a, good, a good reason. Because we use machines that are... Behaving as if they were intelligent. Behaving as if they were intelligent. Whose behaviour we cannot really predict all the time and uh, whose behaviour we cannot really explain. Behaviour we can't predict all the time and behaviour we can't explain, she says. Behaviour we can't explain. Uh, the interviewer is a guy called Colin Murray, um, Northern Ireland dude. He's horrendous. He's about as bad as it gets because he doesn't stop her there and say, because they've given... No, none of them have given any, left any room for doubt that artificial intelligence might become self-aware. And because of that, he should jump in and say, what do you mean becoming unpredictable and doing things you don't explain? But he doesn't because he's, well, he's just shit. And we use these machines to make important decisions which impact our life, whether we can get a mortgage, whether we can get a job, uh, you know, how much we're going to pay for the next flight ticket. Uh, they are in the background of our everyday life. Uh, and even if they are, and they will not, in my opinion, ever become uh, self-aware, these are machines that contribute to making important decisions uh, for individuals and societies at large. Yeah. So they, you know, we're becoming very reliant on machines to do things for us. The, the machines make very important decisions, she said, out of human control. And they're unpredictable sometimes, and sometimes they do things that are hard to explain. That's, you know. Anyway, Maria Rosaria Todeo. Uh, the time is 23 minutes past five. This is the Richie Allen Show on Tuesday, the 14th of June. Bente, bente dos. Uh, eight and a bit years in Spain. And that's about all I got was the numbers. I know. Michelle says, Richie, regarding the chatbot, my opinion is that they put these things out in the world as seeds planted in our consciousness. 
The power of suggestion is a powerful thing. Even though they are saying it isn't possible, that it is sentient, they are planting the seeds for this conversation to evolve over time. A lot of what is reality now was no more than sci-fi not too long ago. On the subject, says Michelle, I can't personally see how something that doesn't breathe can be sentient. Thanks, Michelle. Brambo says, as a fellow Brummy, I think Lenny Henry is unfunny. He plays the race card cynically. He knows better because he is an educated man, but playing the game to his own advantage, as so many BAME celebs do, uh, there's no shortage of woke, almost entirely white, middle-class TV executives and producers willing to indulge them in order to tick the required boxes for their dull products, says Brambo. Dave says... Damn pity you can't. All right, that's a, something that about something else. Uh, surrounded by morons, says Lenny Henry is full of it. My dad, half black, used to go to Glastonbury every year. He never saw Lenny Henry there. Lenny needs to go back on the black and white minstrels, says surrounded by morons. I don't think Lenny Henry was ever on the black and white minstrels. Vicky says, I was at the UK's best festival at the weekend. Download, she says, the Download Festival, and the sun shone all the way. Did you see many people of colour, Vicky? Did you? You didn't? Did that um, somehow negatively impact on your experience because it wasn't diverse enough? I don't know. Philip says, Richie, come now. 27 degrees would be a great summer's day in Johannesburg. Instead, we're going to be max 12 degrees Celsius tomorrow. Well, if you're in Johannesburg, it's the winter, isn't it? That's what you'd expect in the winter, isn't it? I think. Uh, Let's scroll on. There's many, many messages. Remember, when Michael joins me momentarily... Uh, Michael Rachia, do, if you've got anything to anything to say, do drop it to, to me, do send it to me through richieallen.co.uk. It's comment live. It's comment live. I don't think in terms of news there's much else going on that I should be telling you about. Um, the news media is also full of angst and rage, mild anger, disapproval of this Rwanda uh, plan the government is operating or plans to operate or is operating at the moment. You know, the government, in a bid to deter people from trying to get illegally or or to gain illegal entry into the UK and doing so by paying gangsters to ferry them across uh, the English Channel, in a bid to stop this, the government is going to be sending asylum seekers to be processed in Rwanda. And a lot of, uh, as I said, anger about that. Church leaders have come out to condemn it and all the rest of it, but the government says it's going to do it in any case. A plane was due to take off this afternoon with some asylum seekers bound for Rwanda. Apparently, around about seven people will be on the flight. It was hoped the flight would have 200 people on it. But seemingly, 150 or 193 or whatever uh, have managed to get a court injunction against their deportation. I don't know. It's a bit mad, really, isn't it? Isn't it? You're a, you say you're a socialist, Baldy. What would you do? Well, I think as a human being and as an old socialist, every country on the planet has a right, has a duty, I think, to help people that are fleeing from oppression, uh, fleeing from... Uh, torture, fleeing from uh, despotic regimes. I I think every country has a duty to do something about that. Of course I do, you know. There are people who might have started listening last week or even yesterday. They might have me pegged as some sort of conservative. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
uh, I, I have no time for any of them, but my politics, when I used to have politics, politics, of course, doesn't mean anything. It's all an illusion. But uh, on the left, I still believe the workers should control the means of production. I still believe that the state and the people should run energy, transport, water, all the rest of it. That's what I what I feel. And yeah, countries should do their bit for people running from despotic regimes. People should have their cases heard on a case-by-case basis, and when the merits are there, they should be allowed in. As far as economic migrants go, countries like the UK should only take in as much economic um, migration as it needs to fulfil or to fill jobs and gaps in the marketplace. There's a lot of gaps in the marketplace at the moment, dear listener. Apparently, Manchester Airport has got 500 jobs up for grabs. Baggage handlers, security, the whole nine yards. And somebody we bump into sometimes in the park, on the park walk, who works at the airport, he's claimed that so desperate is Manchester Airport at the moment that baggage handlers, handlers even, are being offered £50 an hour over time. Jippers. If you don't hear from me next week, dear listener... You might come across me as you're heading off on your summer holidays. Is that the BBG there under the plane throwing bags in? It is. It's the BBG. Apparently, you've got to have one of these tests done, these background checks. There is a name for it, which I do know, but I can't find it at at the tip of my tongue. But they do a test on you. They look into your background to make sure you don't have any criminal conviction, that you don't have any terrorist inclinations or any of that stuff. And, uh, you know, once you pass that and they think you're suitable, they bring you in for training. Takes a few weeks, I believe, to get you up to speed. And this is one of the reasons why some travel experts are saying that if you are planning to travel in July or in August, don't bank on this situation being resolved by then. Because... It it takes so much time to process applications, to check into their background and then to train them. I have no plans to leave the country, not for the foreseeable future, not with two very young doggies. We won't be doing it. We might take a drive overseas at some stage, but I don't know. So that's, uh, that's if you're in Manchester or Greater Manchester and you're desperate for a job, why not contact the airline? 500 vacancies they have and a particular agency which does the donkey work for the airports to find employees is saying that they cannot even get applicants. They can't even find applicants to to interview for these jobs. Such is the state of the situation at the moment. Alrighty. It's 29 minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, back to your comments momentarily. Thank you for them. And then we're off to uh, chat with Michael Rachia again, who Maria Heller introduced to me. Uh, God bless uh, Maria Heller. Let me scroll on down there now. Marvellous. Okay. Dazza says it ain't Sunday morning melodies, but how about adding spasticus autisticus by Ian Jury and the Blockheads and White Man in Hammersmith Palais by the Clash to the Playlist? (laughs) Maybe not today. I don't think I could locate at least the first song anyway. Not today. Not with being on air. Uh, Chris says Liz Truss was on with JHB, Julia Hartley Brewer, this morning. 
on the old talk radio. First item, Rwanda migrant plane. Second, Brexit Northern Irish border. Five minutes in before Ukraine was even mentioned. It's being managed down the news agenda. I think you're probably right. Leslie says, I don't know about you, Richie, but I know a lot of people from the travelling community and I've yet to meet a mixed race couple. I wonder which woke celebrity will be the first to mention that it is very white. It is. The travelling community, it's awful white, really. Very good, Leslie. Very racist to travellers, aren't they? You don't see any blacks or any Asians. Scaramouche says UK and Rwanda involved in Swap Shop. My posts seem to have a Saturday morning kids show theme from back in the day. Okie doke. Let's have a tune. What have I got? I have the Lighthouse family for you. Because it's the season for songs that sound seasonably warm. And this song sounds warm. It's the Lighthouse family and Ocean Drive on the Richie Allen Show. Your Richie Allen Show, which is live from Salford, from BB Chairs. BBG Towers even. My name is Richie Allen. I am the BBG. As the time is 27 and a half minutes to the top of the air. Michael Rachia joins me after this. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me. It's true. The Lighthouse family, Ocean Drive on the Richie Allen Show, 25 minutes to 6. Tuesday's programme. Programme even, what's wrong with me today? It's El Scorchio Tremendo here on the Costa del Salford. And it's going to get warmer as uh, the week goes on. So it is. Richard Medley, speaking of sentient beings and artificial intelligence, is it becoming self-aware? There's no self-awareness in Richard Medley, is there? I, I tried to avoid Richard Medley like the plague, but I was flicking around the channels this morning and they were talking about the fact that it is the fifth anniversary of the Grenfell Tower fire and some of the survivors of um, people who died in the tower they are angry that nobody has been held responsible for the fire, understandably maybe, and they've been on talking about that. And Richard Madeley, the inspiration for Partridge, asked a woman whose son died in the tower, what, what floor did he die on? Just just blurted it out like that, Richard Madeley. I must collect, I must start recording some of this stuff. Anyway, enough of that. And let's talk about something incredibly interesting. Love this. We uh, met Michael Rachia on the programme, didn't we, a few weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, I think it is. He's a transmedium, Michael, of over 30 years. That means he's a conduit for spiritual insights and communications from higher vibrations of reality. Now, about 15, 17, 16, 17 years ago, he connected to Joseph, who's a spirit, a spokesperson for a vast group of souls and spirits who are concerned with um, the world and the way the world is going. And they have a message, messages for mankind. These are benevolent spirits. Um, Michael and his friends, Tony, Jane and David, have dedicated their lives since then to record and compile the messages of Joseph. They've put them into a series of books known as the Joseph Communications. And we talked about this with Michael last time. Michael channels Joseph. So Joseph uses Michael 
as his vehicle, for want of a better word, to communicate the messages. Now, last time around, we talked about Michael's early years as an odd child when he discovered that he was a bit different when he tapped into his psychic gifts. Um, We talked about his own past lives. We talked about Joan, his spiritual teacher, and how, you know, meeting her ultimately led to him connecting with Joseph. I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the programme this afternoon, Michael Rachia. Michael, welcome back. How are you? Thank you so much, Richie. I'm fine. How are you? Asher, I'm hanging in there. And you know, <laughs> l- last week we, we, we cried off because I, I had um, an issue with, uh, with a tech issue, which is ongoing, but it's not, it's not terminal. And not to make light of this, but you are open to the possibility of interference when, when people like yourself and others are talking about things that are really important, because whether or not we see trans women as women, um, and we like to treat people, you know, as human beings, and we like to treat them properly, we don't like to hurt people's feelings. But when we talk about, you know, diversity and all this sort of stuff, this is not important in the grand scheme of things. But where we came from, and where we are going is important. And you think that when people try to communicate this stuff, sometimes it leads to interference. Very often it leads to interference. Uh, There is a collective field of human consciousness. And that collective field of human consciousness exists because we feed it with our dominant thoughts and beliefs. And our dominant thoughts and beliefs are set to negative mostly uh, at the moment Uh, and that that field doesn't like anything that isn't set to negative so when you introduce light into the equation uh, you're you're sticking your head above the parapet and the uh, the field doesn't like that uh, zeroes in on you and tries its utmost to shut you down now the the most uh, the, the the area where it can influence physical material objects most strongly uh, is uh, electronics, um, uh, computers, uh, that type of thing. And so the anger from the field, the negativity from the field, tends to affect electrical appliances, computers. I remember once, nothing to do with mediumship, but I was editor of a, a hobby magazine. And somebody took against me, one of our writers took against me, and was really angry at me because of, of, of something that I'd, I'd said. I hadn't insulted him. I just questioned something that he'd done in, in, in his writing. And I'd just taken delivery of one of those, at the time, new Apple computers that were in a transparent box. I don't know whether you remember them. They were in a range of colors, very futuristic looking. And uh, we set this thing up, David and myself, and uh, about the time of his anger, the computer went out of whack. I'd only had it a week. And uh, we, we sent it back. The, the chap who collected it said, what have you done to this? Have you dropped it? I said, no, I've not touched it. It's brand new. He said, I've never seen anything like this before. And the thing was fried. It never worked again. That anger had reached out and fried that computer. Now, not consciously. The chap hadn't wanted to fry my computer, but he'd wanted to fry me and had made a connection with me and that had shorted out across the electrical appliance and uh, destroyed it. And you're convinced of that, that it was that energy? Yes, I've I've seen that happen on on numerous occasions. Here's a question. it always attacks electrics first of all. Here's a question. 
I wasn't surprised when we, we had gremlins last week. It was rather unfortunate, but, uh, but not unexpected. How interesting. Now, before we talk about, because I've got here in my hand, I've read a little bit of it this afternoon. Um, I flicked through it. I don't like flicking through things. I like to read things, but time is at a premium when you do this job. But um, course, yeah. m- my better half gets a production credit today because she's read um, Revelation, the first Joseph book. Um, she yeah. thinks it's fantastic. She's got- gotten a lot from it. And she's made some notes. She's helped me out. So I've actually had a producer for once, Michael. It's fantastic. So we've got. <laughs> so we'll we'll go to some of the things contained within the first book and some of Joseph's messages. But I can't not ask this, seeing as you right. mentioned electronics. A, a Google employee reckons that a chatbot has become sentient. He's been suspended for this. Google says it's not happening. Experts are saying we're nowhere near that point yet, where artificial intelligence is acting of its own. Um, is acting on its own volition and all that. That's what they're saying. However, in your field, in the the field of mediumship, and you talk about malevolent spirits, malevolent entities, and that they can can be destructive through uh, the medium, sorry, through electronics. I wonder, could it be possible? Could it it be a thing that um, energies or negative energies or dark energies could use artificial intelligence programs or use computer programs to manifest themselves and to, um, to communicate negative messages. Well, we invest a charge into everything that we concentrate on, everything that we fo- focus on. And to a lesser or greater degree, everything is already sentient. Uh, now, this might sound strange, but if you bless your car, if you bless your cooking utensils and your ovens and you thank them as though they are sentient beings, they will last longer. If you curse your car and you curse your appliances and your cooking utensils, they will fail because you are investing what is already a sentient object in that is made out of living spiritual molecules. You're investing that object with a charge, either negative or positive. Uh, and so, yes, it's perfectly uh, possible that I, AI can have a negative charge. And I think it's extremely dangerous that we are investing increasing sentience in our artificial intelligence. I mean, we haven't sorted out our human intelligence yet. No. Uh, and we're handing it over uh, by increasing degrees to machinery, to computers, to non-emotional entities. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, Richie. Very interesting times, these. Of course, the internet was awash today with people arguing, saying that it's a double bluff. When Google says it's not true, it's a double bluff. Maybe it is true, maybe it isn't true. But, of course, the implications for, for, for us, for humanity, if, you know, programs created by by man or mankind begin to act for themselves and on behalf of themselves and become self-aware, well, yeah, that's that's a whole other discussion. We are speaking with Michael Rachia this afternoon and we're talking about the Joseph communications. And Joseph has lived many lives going back to the time of Atlantis and maybe beyond that. And he's been communicating through Michael for many years now and the subject of those communications. Those communications have been converted into books, the Joseph communications. And what I really like about this is is that, that the books the, the books are on sale 
but their own the, the the money is put back into printing the books. This is a not for profit endeavor, and I, I I like that. I I particularly like things like that. You know, it it it. I have more faith in things like that, so I do love it. And we talked about Michael's own um, journey through transmediumship and his own early journey last time he was out. But I, we're going to talk about some of the themes of Revelation Joseph's message, and I suppose. Michael, if I was if I was your friends, if I was one of your friends, one of your group, um, yep. listening to what Joseph was communicating, I I wouldn't be able to shut up. I suppose the first thing I'd want to know is is what what was Joseph's experience of of God or the Creator? You know what 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 is the creation? What is the Creator? Does God exist? What did or does Joseph have to say about God? Well, that is a major theme throughout all the Joseph books. Uh, And it's a major theme in that uh, it is the core of our being. Uh, And Joseph says that the, however you want to describe God, he or she or it or creative force or creative energy, that energy, uh, a greater power than ourselves as individuals, seeks to explore itself, seeks to become more seeks to experience more and so it gives forth facets of itself it gives birth if you like to facets of itself which are us we are parts shards facets of a greater intelligence a greater uh, energy and we have forgotten that fact And you can see what's happening in society at the moment because we have all but pushed out any notion of God. If you take God out of the equation, you are denying yourself and utter chaos follows. So, yes, very definitely, uh, Joseph talks about God at great length and uh, in increasing detail as his books go on. And uh, I have an absolute faith, absolute belief, an absolute knowing that we are part of a a greater sentience, a greater energy. And what is more, that energy is benevolent. That energy is loving. That energy is caring. That energy knows about each of us. uh, And if brought into our lives, uh, if acknowledged, can stream through us to bring that benevolence, that love, that caring into our world and into our relationships with people and into our relationships with all life here. So it's a a hugely important part of our lives that we have all but shut out. We still require a God. We still require that connection to something greater than ourselves. It's it's a core need within us. But instead of um, seeking a greater intelligence, a greater power, a greater energy, we place that need for God onto material objects. And so the power plays are a seeking for God, a misplaced seeking for God. The uh, acquisition of material objects is a misplaced seeking for God. Uh, The need for security and to be loved is a misplaced seeking for God. Once you bring God back into the equation, and I'm not talking about religion in any way, shape, or form. Religion and God are two entirely different things. Uh, One exists despite the other, (laughs) not because of the other. Once you bring God back into the equation, a non-denominational energy that is greater than ourselves, 
but which flows through ourselves, then you redress the balance on earth, you bring back harmony to the equation of life on earth, you bring back peace to the equation of life on earth, and everything makes sense. But increasingly, we are shutting off God, shutting off any connection to anything greater, and investing totally in a materialistic, totally physical uh, way of life. And, uh, you know, behold the chaos that's around us at the moment as a result. And if Joseph has lived so many lives for so many millennia, I suppose it must be a thing to behold. Um, from his point of view, this materialistic, selfish, narcissistic society that we appear to be at the moment. So he, 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 he talks about God through the books and increasingly so. Does he comment at all on the religions? You, you mentioned the religions there. Has yeah. he made any comment on organised religion? You know, because people will be listening to this, good people, people I know, people yes, I indeed. love, you know, who have a very yeah. close connection with, with their idea of God, whether it be Jesus, whether it be, yeah. you know, Muhammad. Has he commented on the organised religions? He said that increasingly we will see organised religion die out. Uh, and he, he comments on many religions, not all religions, but many religions, restricting people. Uh, now, I can only comment from my own uh, uh, youth point of view in that I was brought up as a Catholic. And uh, I was considered for the priesthood at one stage <laughs> and, and seriously, seriously considered becoming a priest for about three years. And there was, a, there was a pull, which I later recognized to be a pull towards the spiritual work rather than a pull to join any particular organized uh, religion. But in my experience, my religion restricted me. It was a religion of guilt. It was a religion of control. And I remember from about 16 onwards questioning uh, what I'd been taught uh, via my religion in that uh, God was a judgmental God. And God uh, would condemn anyone doing anything that he perceived as being wrong, that was not atoned for, uh, would condemn them to eternal damnation. I thought, well, wait a minute. If I can forgive people who have uh, hurt me in the past, uh, if they can forgive me, and I am human and uh, allegedly lesser than God, how can a God who is greater love than that condemn people to eternal damnation and hellfire? It didn't make sense to me. Uh, and so there are restrictions in certain religions. Not all religions, but certain religions. That's not to say that God doesn't flow through those religions. Of course he does, or she does, or it does. Yeah. I'm using the, the term yeah. he as a convenience, as Joseph does. But um, we have to separate what God is and what God's volition is from what we are told in our religions, because often the two uh, are not compatible. When I hear this, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, if if the stories that we read in in the organised religion texts, if they are metaphors and if they're not real and whether that matters or not, but if if God is this all that ever was, all that ever could be, this 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 energetic being of light, um, yeah. and that. And that we we are you know all that it's been said before all that 
is possible, all that could be, all that ever was, and that we will ascend to something. Now, most people think we will ascend to something when we leave the, the body, which is, is the vehicle. I suppose what I can't get my head around, and what probably others can't get their head around, maybe Joseph has the answer, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not supposed to have all of the answers, Michael. But if you you know, were to encounter somebody, and this is interesting because Joseph talks about the idea that the vengeful God is, is not there, that there's only yeah. cause and effect. But what if you were to encounter that spiritual being, and I don't want to sound like I'm being childish or silly here because I'm not, that um, shot you to death somehow in some mass shooting event. I mean, yeah. how could that work like, you know, on, on any level later on, you know, after you've left the physical body? And I suppose a lot of people who believe in the, you know, the reward at the end of this journey, you know, to be with the, yeah. the, the, the creator in paradise would say, well, why should some bloke who does unspeakable things here, why would I end up in the same realm as this entity? Well, the answer to that is that initially you wouldn't, in that we judge ourselves and our actions whilst we're here vibrate at a certain level. Now, uh, heaven is, is a moving target. Heaven is a succession of uh, ever-refining vibrations that lead out and back into infinity, which is something that is discussed in one of the later books. But um, our actions whilst on earth attract similar vibrations. So if we've been a violent person, if we've been a, a selfish person, if we've been an angry person, when we arrive on a higher level, as it were, on a, an, alternate, an alternative uh, level of reality, we attract to ourselves and are surrounded by similar vibrations. So violence attracts violence, anger attracts anger, until such time and this is a biggie, until such time as the people attracting those things evolve out of those vibrations, until they consider that there is another way to live, until they literally let life light into their existence and then raise their vibrations and bring themselves out of the conditions that they've placed themselves in. There's no judgment from God. They've placed themselves in an area of uh, evolutionary stasis for a while because of their decisions whilst on earth. But regarding revenge and regarding an attitude towards those who have been violent, for example, I, I can tell you a, a short tale about my spiritual teacher who was once wandering across a park in the town where she lived and came across a very upset, uh, this is psychically, spirit, a very upset man in a suit. And the man in a suit was uh, being a, a diplomat in a, a foreign country and uh, was terrified. And she said, why won't you move on? Why, why are you talking to me? You've obviously passed. Why don't you move on into the vibration that you're supposed to move into? And then she looked past him and saw ahead of him uh, innumerable souls, beautiful souls in, 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 in uh, luminous robes that were reaching out towards him. And uh, he said to her, I'm responsible for their deaths. And she said, well, look at them. They are reaching out in love towards you. And he said, I know, and I can't take it. And so a, a result of his action was that that love that they were showing him was something that at that moment in his existence, he couldn't live up to. He couldn't face. 
He would eventually, he would move out of the vibrations that he placed himself in by his actions whilst on earth. But there was no condemnation, but that love was something he just couldn't stand up to. Couldn't handle it. How, how interesting is that? Uh, and there, w- there will be people listening to this and they might say, some of what you said a moment ago might sound a bit like victim blaming. You know, that, 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 that some people are in a state, a vibrational state, or, or at a, a juncture in their lives or in their life where yeah. they might be attracting negative things and then something negative happens to them. Now, look, I've, there are good friends of mine who are on a very similar page to you, Michael, in how they see things and see the world. And yeah. they, they might agree with some of that. But, but I'm not sure. I don't think I'm ready to accept that just yet. And there might be people right. listening to this who might say, that's kind of blaming the victim, really, if you say the victim has put themselves into a place where they're attracting negativity. We're not saying that the victim has, has put themselves in, in a place where they're attracting negativity. We're saying that the person that has... The perpetrator. Uh, commit, com- yes, the perpetrator has done that. The people that were coming to talk to the, the diplomat were on a higher vibration. They hadn't placed themselves in, in a low vibration because of what had happened to them. They had moved on, uh, but they had come back to welcome this person and to, to surround him with love in an attempt to lift up his vibration and make him susceptible to the light that would improve his lot. So it's a very different way of looking at life. They had no revenge in mind. They simply wanted to say, it's okay. Now, come on, let's learn. Let's, let's do things differently. You can be where we are if you change your uh, attitude to life, if you change your needs in life, if you change your vibrational rate. So no, not, not at all uh, was I suggesting that uh, the, the victims were responsible for that in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it's just my I'm misinterpretation. That they moved on uh, and they were, without judgment, approaching the person that uh, couldn't face what he'd done to them and saying, it's all right, it's okay. This is a different area of life. This is a different approach to life. We love you. But doesn't Joseph in the book say, give an explanation about bad things happening to people, that the bad things happening to victims is on some level um, assisting bad people or bad energies to, to become whole again or to become complete or to become better? Oh, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. In certain circumstances... Uh, people are um, willing to go through an experience in order to allow someone else to elevate themselves. So uh, this doesn't happen to all people, but it does happen in that some people decide to come back in order to elevate someone else by giving them the opportunity to think outside the box of perhaps their violent ways or power-seeking ways or material ways. Um, and you have to understand, it's very easy. When you're on that side, Rich, it's great. You know, if somebody came to me on that side and said, Michael, will you go back and spend a whole lifetime uh, trying to uh, illuminate people with spiritual um, truth, spiritual information? Uh, and you say, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> and then when you get back here, you think, what on earth have I done? Right. <laughs> you know, you're shifting your consciousness from one uh, from one um, set of 
reality values to another set of reality values. You are immersing yourself in a dream. But at the point at which you agree to come back, you are aware that it's a dream. Uh, and at the point at which you awaken here, you're not. Well, this is really interesting. And that's uh, fired off a few more questions now in my mind, which I'll come to in a moment. Michael G. Rachia is our guest, a trans medium who since 2005 has been channeling. He's been the conduit for uh, Joseph, a, a spirit, uh, an energy uh, who's been around for many, 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 many millennia, who has lived many lives himself. And Joseph has communicated his message to through Michael, uh, who who works with Tony, Jane and David, and they've put it all into a series of eight books known as The Joseph Communications. Now, to find out more about this, go to thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Has Joseph talked about the experience of physical death itself? Because when... I really enjoyed our conversation last time, and I don't know if you if you looked at the the chat on the website, but there were about three to four hundred messages, and me, me, <laughs> uh, probably more than that. And many of them asked me about death. A lot of yeah. people I know they fear death. I had yes. I had a serious physical. I swear I don't want to make this about. It's not about me at all. But I had a, a health issue in early twenty twenty that was fairly serious. And I wondered about death. And of course, the thing I was more, most concerned about was how my, my better half would deal with it. Maybe she'd be thrilled, who, who knows, but, but, but maybe she'd struggle <laughs> with it, right? But, but I have to admit, I, I began to worry about pain and experiencing pain at the time of, of, of crossing over. Has, has yeah. Joseph spoken about this at all, the actual crossing over? Yes. I mean, the, the third book in the series is called Your Life After Death. And that book is a travelogue uh, of, of what happens to you after death and the various experiences, ongoing experiences, and the different spheres of reality that you will visit on your, your journey onwards. Um, I've accompanied people uh, as they've died. Now, you might wonder, why would somebody in a human body need to accompany a spirit to the other side as they've passed over. Uh, but um, what happens in many cases is that because people are not prepared for anything existing beyond physical death, it becomes very confusing to them. And they have helpers, if you like, spirits from, from elevated spheres that come to help them. But they see them as ghosts. They see them as something to push aside. They see them as, 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 as spirits, and they don't want to talk to them. Now, there is a signature, a vibrational signature, with people who are still on Earth. They are still connected to their physical body by something called the silver cord. It's an electromagnetic cord that, that separates us from our physical body once we die. It's like an umbilical cord that connects us to our spirit. Subconsciously, they know that someone in an earthly body is someone they can trust and someone they can talk to. And so over the years, I've been on various what are called rescue missions to get people across to where they're supposed to be because they're frightened or they're upset. And one of the, um, one of the guiding influences that regularly communicates with us, we call the Big Indian. It's our nickname for him. We call him the Big Indian because he was a Native American because he wears a headdress, it's his choice to do that, and because, because of the headdress and because of him being tall already, he's, he's a giant. 
He dresses all in white. And for many years, he uh, operated what is known as a construct to get people from this side of, of consciousness to the higher realms. Because many people expect there to be some kind of transport, you know. They expect there to be a taxi or a bus or a, a plane or something that will take them across. It's not necessary. It's only necessary to elevate their consciousness. And so the big Indian was in charge of something called the boat. Now, I've been on the boat many times, and the boat appears as an ocean liner. It's a beautiful, beautiful boat. It's, it's all white, and there isn't any superstructure on the upper deck, just rows and rows of benches facing forwards. And when you join the boat at any time, there are various people getting on it via the gangplank. And some of them are wrapped in bandages. Some of them have evidently been in car crashes or motorbike crashes because they're all bloody. Some of them are in pajamas. Some of them are in suits. And very nervously, they take their positions. They sit down on these benches on the top deck. And the big Indian will gesture to the people that are helping from Earth and say, sit with this person and talk to them and listen to me. And you will be given instructions as to what to say to those people. Now, as you're talking to them, the boat sets off from what looks like a shore. And you find yourself not on a sea, any sea that you would see on Earth, but on an ocean of light. If you look over the side of the boat, it's light energy. And you talk to the people and you see them becoming calmer. You don't know what you're saying to them because you're using your spirit consciousness, not your physical consciousness. And they become calmer and then they see ahead of them there's a second shore comes into view. And as the boat comes into not a harbor but sort of docks by the second shore, you see lines of people lining the shore. And the people that are on the boat say, my God, it's my mum. It's my dad, it's my uncle, it's my cousin, it's, it's my wife, it's my husband. And they, you, you see the bandages fall away. You see the scars heal. In many cases, you see them becoming younger in, in the way that they appear. And they get off the boat, and they are embraced by immediate family and friends, and then they wander off, and they disappear. And you come back, and you find yourself back in bed again, thinking, oh, I've been out again. Now... On that, I mean, there will be a lot of people listening to this and they will be delighted to hear that and they will be yeah. saying, I, I hope Joseph is right there, I hope Michael is right because I've done talk radio for so many years, mid-morning radio, and grief comes up a lot, Michael. People ringing in yes, to talk absolutely. about grief. And yeah. I, I can't count the amount of times that somebody said to me, all that gets me through, Richie, is the belief that I will be reunited with my husband or with my wife or with my brother or sister. And from what Joseph says, from what you've experienced yourself, you, you believe it's a given that you will meet the, the, the people you shared your life with. Well, let me Re back reunited. this up. Yeah. Let me back this up with a physical instance. Uh, Jane's mum died a few years ago from dementia. And she was going steadily worse, and we, at worse, and we were visiting her in hospital uh, weekly. And we hadn't told her anything about the boat, and she knew very little about what I did. She'd been to a couple of talks, but she hadn't gone any deeper than that. Now, a few weeks before she passed, I saw the boat in the corner of her room, uh, hospital room. I didn't say anything. 
uh, but I could see uh, the big Indian actually standing next to the boat. Uh, the second time we visited her, she said to us, bearing in mind she didn't know anything about it, she said, what's that boat doing in the corner? And Jane nice? said, what's that, Mum? She said, the boat, it's, it's in the corner. She said, I'm not getting on yet, I'm, I'm not going yet, but, but what's it doing here? And I was promised that when she went, she would be taken onto the boat and she would be cared for and taken over to the other side. So we have a, a, an instance there of somebody that knew nothing at all about that construct, that thought construct for, for ferrying people across, and yet said to me, what is the boat doing in the corner? Uh, I've, I've been visited by my father uh, numerous times since he passed. He f passed very suddenly very young, uh, via a heart attack. And uh, I've seen him on, on many occasions uh, with a wry smile because he looks much younger than I am. Right. You know, he's got... Right. How interesting. He, and can I ask... He's got all his hair and uh, he's got his youth back. He's got his energy back. And uh, I am absolutely convinced I wouldn't do this if I wasn't. I wouldn't in conscience do what I do if I wasn't 110% convinced. And I, and, this, can I, can I, I, and I, and I believe um, you, I believe in your sincerity. Um, I don't know if you're right or if Joseph is right, but I, yeah. I don't care. It doesn't matter what I think. I'm only interested in speaking to people who I believe um, when I believe that they believe what it is they are telling me and I've said this before and I don't feel I have to say that to qualify yeah. why we're talking but I'm, putting, I'm, but I'm putting it out there for people who are a bit sceptical I've looked through the comments we've had a couple of you know sceptical but very polite comments you know people say oh, I think yeah. I think uh, Michael is lovely to listen to but I just can't get my head around this I'm not sure I buy into it fair enough um, I, I, I was fascinated you saying your father has appeared to you because yeah. I read somewhere some years ago from, I read a book written by a trans medium years ago, it was an American person, name escapes me at the moment, but she said that in her experience, parents who um, didn't often get on with their children or who weren't especially good parents to their children, but then they die, that they might be, in, in this medium's opinion, they might be more likely to try and make some sort of contact or you know, right. to show up. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Did you get on with your well, own father? That's, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, my father was a good father. He was an excellent father. But he was uh, Italian. He was brought up during the war. Uh, he was in occupied southern Italy. Uh, at the age of eight, he used to have to go out and look after a herd of buffalo every day and, and come back by himself. He was shot by the occupying forces he swam across a river, was discovered by the Americans, and his wound was going gangrenous. And they, they patched him up, and then he came to, to work over here, fell in love, and, and stayed Fantastic here. Fantastic story. But he was a, a very tough man, an extremely tough man, and found it very difficult to express his emotions. They were there, but he couldn't express them. And so I, I suppose, as often happens between father and child, there is this tension. Uh, and I've actually spoken to my father more since he passed over uh, uh, than I did in all the time he was here uh, with me. And the first time, funnily enough, that he told me he loved me was through a medium shortly after he died. 
He was a man of his time, wasn't he? Men back then, I know this is a generalisation, but they weren't known for their sensitivity, were they? Especially, no, no. And I, I admire yeah. that in him. He, yeah. he, was a, he was a very strong man. He looked after his family. He looked after me. He was a, an amazing man. You know, would that I could be a tenth of what he was. But it was very difficult for him to express those emotions. But it's much easier for him to express them now and, and sometimes pops in to tell me that he's learned something new, some new skill spiritually, which is delightful. Amazing stuff. Michael Rachia is our guest. I'm going to spell uh, Rachia. It's the josephcommunications.co.uk. If you look up Michael, it's R-E-C-C-I-A. That's the Italian, you see. Um, what a story about your dad. Wow. Occupied Italy, getting shot, getting across the river, the gangrene. Amazing story, really. I suppose he would have been very, I suppose, uh, nonplussed about it, I suppose, if he was ever asked about it. It was a different generation, wasn't it, Michael? harder people they, well, yeah. he told my mother about it but he, he never spoke to me about it and yet when he was you know he stripped his shirt off you could see this gouge under one arm where the bullet had gone in and he just got on with it amazing yes um, the books are available First, you'll find links at the josephcommunications.co.uk the when the 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 proceeds of the sales go back into reprinting more books. Um, Tony, Jane, David, and Michael, who uh, whom you're listening to, uh, they don't get anything out of it. It's not a for profit thing. Okay, they began speaking to or listening to uh, the spirit Joseph back in 2005. Uh, he uses Michael as a conduit. We talked about this. It's so fascinating. I, I listened back last week, Michael, on Monday, thinking that you were going to be with me last Tuesday. I listened yeah. back to the conversation again to listen to you talk about the experience of channeling Joseph and what that's like, because I was fascinated by that. So if this is the first time you've met Michael, if you didn't catch the first show, you really should. But you should also look for Michael Rachie and the Joseph Communications on YouTube, because there is a YouTube channel and it is packed full of uh, videos and talks about the communications as well. So look look up that on uh, on, on YouTube. Um, There's also a third thing, uh, if I may. Go uh, go go right ahead, Mike. Uh, I've also um, coalesced my 40 years of experience into a free course, which is also available on YouTube. It's called Step by Step Course in Higher Consciousness. And the reason that we, we put that out is that if there are listeners that feel that they have psychic or spiritual ability and wish to safely, and that's the key word, safely develop and explore that ability, then the course allows them uh, to do that in their own time. It's a course only in name. It's a course in that it has six modules and each module builds on the last one to take them to a place where they can safely meditate, where they can safely move their consciousness down from their head mind to their heart mind and where they can safely undergo a number of visualizations, can build an inner sanctuary and can go there to heal themselves, to inspire themselves and to send out light to others to help transform this world. Great stuff, Michael. And um, if you, at the end of the show today, if you want to send me a link to that, I can include it on the podcast notes so people can just click on it and go there. Not at all. Now, controversially, we're going to talk about illness and medicine because I know that Joseph has had a lot to to communicate, to say on this issue. It's funny, we, we live in this country in 2022 
and it is still against the law to say that it is possible to cure a certain illness, let's call it cancer, because that's what it is. But I understand from, and I've got the passages here, I'm holding Revelation, Joseph's message in my hand now, and um, Caroline has brilliantly marked out the passages. She'll make some producer one day. It's absolutely fantastic. But um, Joseph, he has some controversial, it might be said, opinions on why people become ill to begin with. If you want to talk a little bit about that before we talk about Joseph's belief or Joseph's message, his teaching that we can heal ourselves without the the need for conventional medicine. So on the subject of how we become ill, bit controversial, what does Joseph say? Well, we have to first of all consider that we are not the physical beings that we uh, believe ourselves to be. We have a physicality, but that is only one expression of what we really are. We are, in fact, spiritual beings. As as we said earlier, we are a, a facet of divine consciousness. We are creators, and we create more around ourselves of whatever we believe to be true about ourselves. And during our lifetimes, we all do it, I do it, everybody does it, we pick up a lot of baggage. We are wounded by the events in our lives, by the challenges in our lives. Not only are we wounded by them, but we subconsciously hold on to them. And because time is not what it appears to be, whenever we revisit those challenges, those hurts uh, in our minds, we reactivate the vibrations that are around them. And over time, those vibrations wear us down. They get in that the cracks become holes, the holes become craters, and we uh, eventually uh, become ill. Now, in no way am I decrying medical help, not in any way, shape, or form. But what I am saying is that there is a complementary way to look at things, and that one of the exercises that we can undertake to advance our healing is to look back at those sore points in our lives, which are actually still active sore points. They're still in the present because there isn't really a past. It's all happening now. It's to look at those sore points and to let them go. We can let them go in in numerous ways by sending light to them, by simply saying, I'm moving on from this. Uh, But as we let them go, we unblock uh, the, the blockages in our body that ultimately lead to illness. Uh, I I was astounded when my uh, spiritual teacher suggested uh, right at the beginning of my training, if you will, that illness was um, could be put aside if we believe strongly enough that we are healthy. And I thought, well, that's nonsense. And I remember at the time I was working for an advertising agency and my secretary had flu and everybody else in the office had flu. And uh, I was about to use the phone, uh, landline, and she said, don't use that phone, I've been using it, you'll get flu, I've been using it. I thought, hang on a minute, let's just test this out. So I I grabbed the phone, and I I spoke to whoever I was speaking to, and I thought, no, I'm not having this, this doesn't exist, this is an illusion, this is a lie. And I was the only person in that office that didn't get that particular bug. And over the years, I I built up a vision of myself as being healthy rather than being sick. 
Uh, I'd worn glasses since I was two years old, very strong glasses. I used to make people's eyes water, Richie. I was cross-eyed when I was a child. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 in the same period, I thought, wait a minute, do I really need these? And I, I took them off and didn't wear them for years. And bit by bit, I built up a personal um, approach to illness that um, I could fix anything that was wrong. I slipped a disc. And uh, I was... <laughs> a very physical hey, thing, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't get out of the house. Uh, it took me half an hour to walk two streets to the um, osteopath. And uh, he... He tried his best to put it back in. He got me walking again. He said, look, I think you're going to have to go to the doctor because we're not winning here. I said, give me a week. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to meditate. And so for a week, I meditated on the area and saw it as being better. I went to him a week later and he said, you know, we're winning. What have you been doing? You're on the I said, I've been meditating. And he said, uh, I hope you're not, uh, you're not masking the pain. I said, no, that's not what it's about. It's about healing what's wrong with me and seeing it as being right again. And, uh, you know, uh, apart from the odd twinge decades later, that's the, the end result of my slip disc. I don't doubt this for a minute. I, I've seen some things that have astounded me over the years. A friend of mine had seriously awful eczema dreadful and he, he he spoke to an energy healer and a medium who I know who's um, again incredibly sincere and was able to get my friend to think I, I, I'm going to put it into you know the wrong jargon but to think away the eczema and this is yeah. years of using steroid creams and and all of this stuff. Now, look, I'm not just saying that proves anything. I interviewed Sandy Edwards on the programme, a lovely woman who wrote healing in a hospital. She took part in the only controlled experiment ever where the NHS embraced for a time energy healing and, yeah. and, and looked at it. And they had to accept that it works. So I'm completely on board with this. I, I, I did a piece for radio years ago, uh, Michael, where I, I met um, a, a gentleman who'd come to Ireland from India. He travelled in the UK as well. And uh, this was a guy who was able to have very painful, seemingly painful dental surgery in a chair yep. where he was able to just put himself into a place where he couldn't feel any of that pain. I'm totally on board with this, 100%. Yeah. And you know, on that thing, I feel a bit guilty. Years ago, I interviewed a guru from America who wrote books like, you know, Think Yourself Thin and stuff like that. And I yeah. would have been very critical of the guy and I would have had a go at him. And I would have said, but you're in your book, you're just dealing in simple absolutes, like you're just dealing in slogans for people that are overweight. But now when I look back, I think he wasn't. He was saying much of what, not much of what you're saying, but he was saying things along the lines that you're saying now. You know, he was telling people to love themselves, you know, and to see themselves, to see themselves in a different way and to, to let go of the fears about their weight and their bad health. And in many cases, people, um, their health improved and they began to lose the weight that they needed to lose. So I'm totally on board with this. And Joseph talks about this. Is, do you think it's possible then? This is where it gets a bit controversial. So even people with the most dire of prognoses, you know, or diagnoses, um, you've got very, very bad cancer. And we think you've got six months to live. As far as yeah. you're concerned, it is possible to reach a meditative state or to embrace this. It's possible, maybe probable, that you could reverse it or could help it. It, it is, we are creative beings. We create our, 
uh, acceptance of life, our perspective of life. And it, it's unfortunate that illness is, is very often reinforced in that somebody says, you have got this. You know, if somebody, ha- if somebody is handing you that on a plate as a reality, uh, rather than saying, well, we feel it's this, but I'm sure we can work on this together. And uh, it, the, the mind is extremely powerful. The mind delivers to us whatever we believe to be true. Now, I am not criticizing anybody's suffering. Don't get me wrong at all. Uh, I have the deepest sympathy for people's suffering. But what I'm saying is that we can alleviate some of that suffering. We can reverse some of that suffering if we learn how to meditate and if we learn how to visualize a different tomorrow for ourselves. Instead of expecting tomorrow to be worse than today, expecting and believing tomorrow to be better than today. Instead of expecting us to be worse tomorrow than we are today, expecting ourselves to be better tomorrow than we are today and we can instruct the body to heal we can say look body i'm terribly sorry i've got this wrong you know i've got things wrong i've got it all muddled up and as a result of of getting it wrong you're suffering in this area can we sort it out you and i because the body is sentient as well it is it is a sentient mechanism and responds to our instructions uh, I have to say, uh, uh, let me just illustrate. I, I hope you don't mind, but I always illustrate with, with things that have happened because it, it adds Not at all, Michael. Saying. No, it's good. It's good. Um, we, uh, my, my spiritual teacher was born with one leg shorter than the other. She had to have a, a, a built-up shoe on one side. And the doctors had uh, abandoned her. They said, there's nothing for it uh, to, to her parents. She, she will never walk again. Eventually, she'll be in a wheelchair, and that will be it. Now, there was a, a gentleman in the town that was known as a quack. He was known as, a, as, as, as an idiot. And they said, well, we've nothing to lose. Let's get him in. And he, he came in, examined Joan, and said, right, say after me, God did not make funny legs. And she said, What? He said, God did not make funny legs. And so she mumbled, God did not make funny legs. He said, I have pantomime legs. I have perfect legs. I have pantomime legs. I have perfect legs. I mean, at this point, she wasn't believing in that at all. And he said, look, if you will work with me, then I will come every day and we will work on your legs. Now, are you going to work with me or are you going to accept what you've been told? And she said, well, I have nothing to lose. I will work with you. Now, it took 20 years, Richie, but after 20 years, both her legs were the same length. She didn't need the built-up shoe. Her husband was was, uh, paralyzed. Uh, He was given the wrong drug in hospital, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. They wanted him to go into a, a care home, and she said, no, this is my husband. I will look after him. And so she she turned him twice a night. She came downstairs, turned him twice a night. And at the time, she was technically blind. She needed new lenses in her eyes. But for four years, she looked after her husband, refusing to believe in what was wrong with her eyes until such time as he passed over, and then she had the operation for the new lenses. So what I'm trying to illustrate is the power that we have over our circumstances uh, via the degree of belief that we have in our circumstances and our perspectives. 
There are questions about regressive therapy. I'll ask those in a moment, but I'm going to read a few comments now. So you yep. might hear a couple of questions, but don't just dive in and answer them. Let me just get through a few of these. Okay. Uh, it's, it's always tempting to say, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there. I'll, I'll answer that. Chris says, w- with illness, surely Michael is talking about what is also known as chi and the chakras and hypnosis or self-hypnosis is real, real pain relief and resolution of illnesses. And regarding the current global health mafia takedown, terrain theory is very in tune with this thinking. Uh, I think for a start, contagion is a myth, says uh, Chris. Alex says, you hear all the time about people who were totally unaware they had cancer, no symptoms, but they are dead within weeks or months once they are told. I'm very interested in that as well, that, that, that idea, that once you tell people and they panic and they go into fear mode and you know that that could make them ill. Um, Nelly says, Michael is describing hypnotherapy, a subject that I have a diploma in, says Nelly. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Nelly. Um, loads and loads and loads of comments on this. Most most are positive, not all, but I'm going to read out one or two. I, I don't mean they're po- positive. Most are totally in uh, tune with what Michael is saying, but but not but not everyone. I'll read one or two. Great stuff, Richie, says Dave, the nurse. Um, Jesus Christ, he says, peace be upon Jesus and us is a shortcut to the highest levels. Please ask Michael about Jesus Christ and his role now and what Joseph might have to say about that. We might come back to that because I do want to get into regressive uh, therapy. Um, Isabella has asked a question about uh, regressive therapy. Let me scroll on down. William says, I'm fascinated by this but I'm not sure about it, but I certainly wouldn't rule any of what Michael is saying out. I wouldn't. Uh, it's great stuff and very much, very interesting. Uh, Monk says, wow, great emotions washing over me as Michael talks about the boat and the, the uh, Native American guide in the boat. That was incredibly interesting. I was all ears as well at that point. And as I said, one or two uh, people saying, oh, well, maybe not. Like Paul says, I can see the psychological reasons why Michael thinks that he sees his dead father, you know, loss and hope and unresolved grief uh, and, and all of that. Uh, and there are others. Uh, Jonathan says, I had a friend who had a son who died. He thought his dead son was communicating with him through blown light bulbs and random animals walking up to him. I think some people just make things fit when they can't cope with the alternative. Uh, and that is that the person is gone uh, forever. So um, really interesting stuff coming in there. Before you yeah. talk about regressive therapy in past lives and how that might be of great benefit to people, because I know Joseph thinks it might be of benefit to people um, to understand who they are and where they are going. Um, do you want to pick up any of those points there? Yes, I, I would say, first of all, with my father, uh, that he would always come through. It's not just a matter of seeing my father. He would have something to say. <laughs> and something that he would say would be with regard to, from my personal point of view, in the future. Now, those incidents that he was talking about happened. So it's not that I'm, I'm making up uh, seeing my father. He would not just stand there. He would stand there for a reason. And he would talk to me for a reason. And so I would advise anyone who goes to a medium, if they are put in touch with a loved one, with a relative, with a friend, to, to, to look at what that relative or friend are saying to them, to build up a picture that they are indeed communicating uh, with that person. Uh, regarding uh, Jesus, it's, it's the same message, isn't it? Uh, it's it's the, the message of love, harmony, Love your brother and sister as yourself. I mean, that, that particular message was given 2,000 years ago. It was given through other uh, high spirits, and it's ignored. 
we're in the, the, the state that we're in because it is for the most part ignored. How in current times are people loving each other? How in current times are they treating uh, the other as they would treat themselves? It's such a simple message. And the Joseph message is simple. The way back to harmony and to peace on this planet is simple. You wouldn't expect it to be anything other than simple. Why would the divine hide the truth in complexity? It is the complexity of our own minds and the way that we approach society and our lives that cause all the troubles that we have. Uh, and so, yes, no, no problem at all with Jesus' message, no problem at all with many messages from many high messengers over the ages that have all preached the same thing. And on the subject of Jesus, Jesus said, look, look, folks, everything that I'm doing, I'm not doing because I want you to worship me. I'm doing it because I want to show you that you can do it yourself and better than I can. I'm, I'm, I'm communicating to you the way that you operate as the spirit being loved by God that you really are. So if you put into practice what I'm showing you, you will be as free and as connected as I am. And of course, he healed. And he healed by connecting himself to the divine energy within himself. Before he healed, he would always say, I and the Father are what? And at that point, he put his hands on people, get himself out of the way as an individual personality, and allow that healing energy to flow through him and correct what was wrong in the person he was healing. Michael, we're going to talk about regression therapy for the last right. um, 10, 15 minutes that we've got left. The time is 26 minutes or thereabouts to the top of the hour. Michael Rachia is our guest, transmedium. Michael has been communicating with, or Michael is a conduit for a spirit called Joseph, who has been communicating through Michael for the best part of 17 years. And uh, a group of people, Michael, Tony, Jane and David, have taken down the messages from Joseph and converted them into a series of eight books called The Joseph Communications. Go to thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Now, regressive therapy. Isabel wants to know about uh, Joseph's thoughts, your thoughts on it, on how um, it might be useful in changing group consciousness if more and more people get to experience themselves in multiple lives and therefore helping them understand that we are all eternal and divine. But how would you even go about, you know, Knowing who you could trust well, to talk about thing, this, go that's, ahead. That's the thing, yeah. You, you need somebody that's, that's extremely talented and skillful and loving in that area. But also that the matter of past lives can be a blessing and a curse. In that I've seen people become totally obsessed with who they were as, re, as opposed to who they are. And Joseph describes past lives and the present life as a suit of clothes in a wardrobe, you know, uh, and that when you're on the spirit side of life, when you're on the higher side of life, you can choose your appearance depending on which of those suits of clothes you decide to take out of that wardrobe and to wear at any given time. We're not the suit of clothes. We are the same spirit that has worn all those suits of clothes, but we've worn all those suits of clothes for a purpose. And that purpose has been to educate ourselves, to evolve ourselves, to uplift ourselves, to hopefully uplift others, and to evolve as the spiritual beings that we are uh, really, not, not the material beings. So there, you have to be very cautious 
with regressive therapy in that you need someone who is hugely experienced and uh, empathic and you have to go into it for the right reasons. I mean, <laughs> the number of people that have been Henry VIII, for example, the number of people <laughs> right. that have been Cleopatra, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. we can't all have been Henry VIII and Cleopatra. Some no. of us will have had seemingly very ordinary lives from the point of view of fame or notoriety, but lives that have been extraordinary with regard to how we progressed during those lives. So we, we have to keep things in perspective. And also, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of damage that we, we do to ourselves in this current life. And, and that's the dominant suit of clothes that we're wearing at the moment. And that's the suit of clothes that, to my mind, needs the most attention uh, when we are attempting to heal ourselves. Um, what I would say is that it's important that we investigate life after death. It's important that we investigate spirituality, not necessarily through the Joseph books, not through me, but through whatever means feel right to us so that we can make up our own minds. The number of spirits that I've seen that cross over have no knowledge of life after death and restrict themselves because of that lack of knowledge. We owe it to ourselves, surely, when you consider that we're only here for a few decades, to at least investigate what comes next and to then make our own minds up. Yeah. And uh, to, to investigate our capabilities as the spirits that we really are, because it does transform our lives. It allows us to take charge of our own healing. It also allows us to take charge of our contribution to the world. Uh, rather than being a victim of the world and saying, well, things are terrible, to say, I'm, I'm putting in light today. I am uh, attempting to change the world today. I am putting in a vision of a better world on behalf of everyone and all life on earth. Not to coerce everyone, but to give them the opportunity to examine and to embrace or to reject the vibrations that I'm putting out into the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I, I, I see, I've talked about this before on the programme, this idea that there's no such thing as a small act of goodness or generosity or kindness. No such thing. That any act in benevolence, any act towards your, your fellow man or, or, or woman is, is making a dent in negative energy. It's making a dent in, in oppression, in whatever you want to call that. I, I really do believe that. Because somebody said to me on this programme, probably about six or seven years ago, they said, Richie, we, we keep missing the point. I can't remember, remember who said it. We keep missing the point. People think that they have no power uh, to Absolutely. change the environment they're in or the bad things that happen in the world. But the simplest thing, like doing something nice for somebody, if this becomes a habitual thing, if this catches on, this creates a consciousness, an elevation in consciousness. It creates an energy. Um, people start to feel better. When people start to feel better about themselves, good things start to happen. I can definitely buy into that, Michael, no doubt. Yes, and you, you, when you give out love, when you give out light, you connect, as we've said, like attracts like. You're connecting with similar vibrations from around the globe. So you're not alone in that. 
you connect to your family because we're, we're all family. You wouldn't think so, the way some of us behave, but we are family because we come from the same source. We are all part of the divine. There's a chapter in one of Joseph's books that is headed, God can only count to one. Now, what, what that means is that we're all part of the same thing, and a lot of people reject that because some of us act so outrageously, so, Evil, so yeah. seemingly badly and negatively. But everyone I meet today, everyone I talk to, everyone that is listening to this now or in the future is my true brother or my true sister. It's a spiritual fact. We are family. If we accepted that, and whatever I do to you, I'm doing to me. Whatever I put out towards you, if it's anger or violence or uh, uh, rejection, I'm doing it to myself. Because you are part of me. Now, those simple facts, if we embrace those simple facts, the world will change now. Overnight. Let, Overnight. Me, let me ask you a final question. Five more minutes um, with Michael today. The josephcommunications.co.uk. Final question then, uh, which is a big one, and we, we might pick it up again in the future. Yeah. I know that um, people such as yourself, you, 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 you I mean, you're not, in contact with Joseph exclusively, that you will um, meet or encounter other entities, energy, spirits, whatever you want to call them. Now, my listeners will say that I should say that you believe this. Um, I shouldn't say that you do. I should say that you believe this. But I believe that you believe that you do. And that's all that matters, as I said earlier on. Is yeah. there, has anybody communicated to you um, any message with respect to agendas that we are bearing witness to at the moment. We call them things like the Great Reset. Agendas yes. which are to take us down very, very dark roads, uh, totally yes. away from who we really are. Enslavement agendas. Is there any body, alive or dead, Michael, and uh, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that, or, or glib, who has, has given any indication as to how this might end up? Well, I, kn I know your partner is, is reading the books and she will come across, I mean, the books now read like prophecies. We didn't know at the time, but they, they, many of the, the paragraphs in there refer to what is happening at the moment. And one of the uh, overarching themes is that we are running out of energy. Now, I don't mean climate change. I don't mean world energy. We are running out of energy in the field of human consciousness because we are not introducing spiritual energy. And Joseph says that civilization, he says it can only go back so far in looking at what has happened to our planet. And he says that civilization has ended at least twice before. It's ended at least twice before. And the, the warning in, uh, in the books is that we don't want it to happen again and that we're running out of time. We have to join together in light to change things. If we don't, then civilization will end. And it will end simply because we will have no purpose in coming here. We were originally supposed to come here as spirits in, in physicality to experience and to grow and to become more. If we are not allowed to do that in freedom, if we are not allowed to do that uh, uh, to, to, to fulfill our expectations from this world, uh, if we are not allowed to do that in love and in harmony, then there is no purpose in us coming here. And so we won't come here. 
So we, we live on a knife edge at the moment, but the key to it, as we, as we said earlier, lies in the love and harmony and the radiation of spiritual light energy from our heart minds that we can put out daily. And again, that the course uh, will tell you how to move your consciousness safely down from the head to the heart and back again. And there are meditations in there that will help you to visualize sending out the light and explain why the light is needed so sorely at this time. Brilliant way to end it. I hope we can pick it up again in the summer. Um, Michael, we'll stay in touch. To find out more about the books, go to thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Check it out. Michael, before we say goodbye today, you mentioned the course. Uh, Give a a plug to the course again, the free course you run. Yes, the the course is called a step-by-step course in higher consciousness living. And I know it can be frightening for, for, for those listening who feel that they have psychic ability, a psychic gift, uh, who want to further that gift, expand on that gift, uh, who wish to work spiritually, who wish to be light workers, and are not sure how to do that. Um, there, there are people out there that will help them. There are people out there that will help them for their own ends. What I wanted to do was to put down 40 years of uh, experience and knowledge into a course that would enable people in the safety of their own homes to open up safely to spiritual vibrations, uh, to close down safely from spiritual vibrations, uh, to, to meditate successfully, to be able to move their consciousness down from their head to their heart, Uh, to connect with greater uh, energies, uh, to receive guidance, and to be able to heal themselves, inspire themselves, and know exactly what to do in any situation in their lives, to give the point of power back to themselves. And that that is what the course is about. It took me six months to write, and it took us six months to, to film. Again, all I want out of it is for you to safely be able to examine your spirituality. Michael, thanks for coming back today. Fascinating. A huge response to it again. I look forward to doing it again in the summer. Thanks for your time. Really enjoyed it. A great delight, Richie. Thank you for, for having me on your show. Thank Take you. Take care of yourself. You too, Michael. Michael Rachia. It's thejosephcommunications.co.uk for more uh, on that. If you came in on the end of it there... Uh, the show is podcasted. You'll find it on whichever podcast provider you use. You'll find it on there for now anyway. Uh, Podomatic.com is where, um, said for me, is where I upload it, but it'll appear on Spotify and iTunes and, and all the rest of it. Okie doke. Um, yeah, Richard Kelly says, buy into it, Richie. That's spot on, he says. Um, Caroline says, I don't know what that means, Richard. Caroline says, totally agree with what you just said, Richie. This is how I roll. I swear to God, I don't remember what I said, Caroline. <laughs> what did I say that was any good? I was only asking questions. Uh, but thanks. Paul says, in terms of the COVID scam, uh, these compliant, gullible, progressed, jabbed people are doing my head in, says Paul. Well, why allow them do your head in, Paul? Why allow them? I learned a long time ago not to allow people, um, you know, not not just the COVID idiots or the COVID idiots, but anybody. You know, for years when I was younger, I would get upset and annoyed when people saw things differently or took a different direction than me. But I learned not to care, not to let it affect you. Don't let it affect you because it is beyond your control. There is nothing you can do. 
about the fact that people are still going to these jabatoirs to be jabbed, as I witnessed myself this morning while out running. Eli said, Richie, this is a born-again Christian you are speaking to who is convincing you to become a Christian. What he's saying is from a Christian hymn sheet. I don't agree with that at all, Eli. He's not trying to convince me to become anything. I'm not a Christian and I don't plan on converting to Christianity. Uh, But thanks so much for your comments. I appreciate it. Uh, Kenner was on to say there is a lot of scientific evidence to support the healing belief. See the author of books like You Are the Placebo. That's a book that crossed my desk many years ago, but I don't think I read it. Uh, Thanks for that, Kenner. Patricia says, in a world where so much is thrown at us to divide us, it isn't an easy concept for people to understand that we are all one. Uh, Thanks, uh, Patricia. Wayne has come on to say he's seen several spirits uh, since childhood. He's experienced astral projection, he says, both deliberate and non-deliberate. So he has no doubt at all that we are eternal spiritual beings. That's been his experience, uh, says Wayne there. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate that. Um, David Keane says, in jest, I think, can someone please put me on the first flight to Rwanda? 40 pence for a pint there. It's a pound for a litre of petrol, is it? England is fecked. I'm out. (laughs) A jester no more. However, hearing Mike Graham saying, um, I I I can't read the rest of that because I don't know what it means, but thanks, David. I appreciate that. Okay. This is Richie, the the Richie Allen Show. It's a Tuesday's programme. It is the 14th, of course, of June. I thought for a moment, foolishly, that it was Bastille Day today. But of course, I'm in Egypt. That's the 14th, the 14th even of July, isn't it? It is. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, there was something now I was going to say to you, and it's gone flat out of the back of my head, which probably means it wasn't uh, worth telling you to begin with. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I was going to do the headlines momentarily, but I won't. Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon has unveiled, apparently, the case for Scottish independence. Thereafter, the SNP's another referendum on Scottish independence for Scottish citizens, of course. You know what I think of that, but sure. Do you want to hear a bit of Jimmy Cranky for the crack? That means if we are to uphold democracy here in Scotland, we must forge a way forward, if necessary, without a Section 30 order. For the reasons I've set out already, however, we must do so in a lawful manner. We know that in these circumstances, the competence of the Scottish Parliament to legislate is contested, and that, therefore, is the situation we must navigate to give people the choice of independence. Now, that work is well underway, and while I do not intend to go further into the detail today, I can say that I do plan to give a significant update to Parliament very soon indeed. The principles of democracy and the rule of law are fundamental. They should unite all of us, regardless of our politics. Indeed, democracy within the rule of law is how differences of political or constitutional opinion should always be resolved. The fact that these principles are now so deeply disrespected and disregarded day and daily in the UK is itself an indication of how broken Westminster governance is. Indeed, that has become part of the argument for independence. 
Oh, shut up, you tart. Yeah, Nicholas Sturgeon there, or Jimmy Cranky, as um, she's um, known in jest there, laying out the case for independence and an independence referendum and all of that jazz. Um, you can't speak to these people. And by these people, I don't mean Sturgeon. You can't speak to Scottish people who want independence because it's a noble ambition. It's a lofty but noble ambition to separate from the United Kingdom and the crown. But Jimmy Cranky, of course, well, Jimmy Cranky is straight out of Klaus Schwab's club, isn't she? Cranky would first, the first thing she would do would apply for membership of the European Union. So she would win in 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 the grand scheme of things, would win independence for Scotland and then give it away to the European Union, is what Jimmy would do. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We, we won't dwell too much on, on that. Still not sure if any of these planes or if this plane has taken off. Um, did you know this famous Rwanda plane? The government is flying asylum seekers to Rwanda to deter people paying traffickers to take them across the English Channel. The, the belief is that if the desperate... Uh, asylum seeker feels or or knows that they won't be allowed to stay in the UK but that they will be sent to Rwanda to be processed um, that they might not pay the criminal gangs the money to get in the rubber dinghies to be brought across the channel uh, a flight is due to leave soon for Rwanda with uh, seven people on board it's pure vaudeville this I mean, this smacks of nonsense, again, to rile people up, to aggravate people, to anger people, to get people screaming at one another about migration, about immigration, about how devastating it is, how devastating it's been for communities, the Kalergi plan and all this stuff. That's what it's designed to do. But you know, a funny thing occurred to me today. I don't know if this has occurred to you. You and I believe that immigration was weaponized against against civilizations, against populations, right? Crimes against humanity were committed against people in third world countries by corporations and by Western governments. Crimes against humanity. You know, the black people in Africa, the dark-skinned people in Asia, the, uh, the, the people of the Far East, these are real people. These are human beings. These people are just as worthwhile as you or me or anybody else. I think we all, we, we all believe that. But unspeakable things were done to these people in the name of, of, of giving them democracy, which led to millions of these people fleeing their countries uh, to the West. It's always amazed me, that whole concept, run into the arms of America, as Bono famously wrote in Bullet the Blue Sky. This is true, right? So, um, so this, is, this is a real thing, this, this immigration as a tool of divide and conquer. I don't think there's a legitimate argument against it. That's what elites have done. They've used immigration, or migration, I should say, uh, to turn people against one another. And most people have fallen for it. You haven't fallen for it. I haven't fallen for it. You know that the brown-skinned person on your uh, street who just turned up, who lived in Africa three weeks ago, it's not his fault or her fault. That's a fellow human being. That's somebody you should be kind to. It's your government, right? It's your government. But I was thinking about this today. If they eventually want to, if they really want to force, if they really want to bring climate, the, the climate agenda, to bring that forward now and to use the climate change agenda or the fake climate change agenda to push the Great Reset even further and even faster, it stands to reason that migration will start to reduce to a trickle, won't it? Maybe they've gotten all that they need from the migration agenda, maybe. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Maybe the whole migration thing might take a bit of a back seat now or might wind down or might be scaled back. What do you think about that? Maybe we should talk about that in a future programme. That's it from me. Thanks to Michael Rachia for his uh, company on the programme tonight. The josephcommunications.co.uk is the website. Uh, tomorrow is Wednesday. That's right, June 15th. It's supposed to be a scorcher. It doesn't matter. I'll be here in the air-conditioned studio to chat with you about whatever it is we'll be chatting about tomorrow. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to the future Mrs. Allen for her assistance in producing today's programme. Closing out the show with John Henry. Pete Seeger's John Henry sung by Bruce the Boss Springsteen. Bye!